It's a mailbag episode. Lots of great stuff coming in. Can't wait to get to all these. And there's so many questions. I want to get right into it. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Friday, January 27th, 2023. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I am your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for tuning in with us. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. Uh, small disclaimer off the top. Uh, I'm recording this on Thursday night. Had a small medical procedure early on Thursday, so I'm a little bit loopy, a little bit of pain, but we're good. Hopefully nothing wild comes out of my mouth. Maybe that makes for a more interesting show, but still wanted to make sure to get content out to you today. Mailbag shows, they're always fun. I love it because we get to have conversation back and forth. Got to as many of your questions as I I'm going to get to as many of your questions as I can. If I don't get to yours, I apologize. Hit me up somewhere else and I will answer it or we can get back to it next time we do a mailbag. Speaking of which, would love your fail, uh, your feedback on your thought. Do you enjoy mailbag, mailbag episodes? Clearly, things aren't going well. Uh, do you enjoy mailbag episodes? Uh, getting to hear questions from other fans and um, getting to answer that back and forth. Send me some feedback on that. You could drop it in the comments if you're watching on YouTube. Very quickly before we get to the questions, because want to shout out the women's basketball team. They won on Thursday night, 72-57 to 57 at Pitt. Deja Kelly, 23. Kennedy Todd Williams, 22. Alyssa Utsby, another double-double, 16 and 11. Ladies are 6-3, and three, uh, moving their way up just two games out in the lost column of first place behind Duke and Notre Dame, both of whom they currently hold a tiebreaker over. Next game is on Sunday. Go get it, ladies. All right. Here we go. Straight into it. This first question comes from our guy Chad Hicks on YouTube, and he says this. Could you give us an update on Leaky Black's career stats up through the Syracuse game? So, uh, you know, I've been sending out lots of this thing because Leaky is the only one hitting certain thresholds in Carolina history. So, so far this season, and then I'll give you career, seven points per game flat, which is a career high. 147 total points, 61 shy of his career high for a single season. Shooting 42.6% from the field, 30 from three. That's dropped off a little bit lately. 68.3% on free throws. That's dropped off a lot this year as compared to last year. Um, he's got 117 total rebounds, 5.6 per game, which is a new career high. His assists are down 1.5 assists per game. Just one turnover a game, 0.7 blocks per game, and a career-high 1.6 steals per game. So up in a lot of metrics this year and uh, down in a few other counting stats. For his career, though, I'm just going to give you totals here, not averages, because that's what we've been keeping tabs on. 760 points, 63 made threes, 632 rebounds, 315 assists, 79 blocks, so one shy of hitting that 80 threshold, and 158 steals. 
So at this point, I would put it this way. Leaky Black is the only Tar Heel in program history with at least 750 points, 60 made threes, 600 rebounds, 300 assists, 75 blocks, and 150 steals. Crazy stuff there. It's in that Danny Green mold who we're going to talk about in just a little bit. Great question, Chad. Thank you. Next comes from the Nintendo nerd who we often hear from. Thanks. Good to see you as good to hear from you as always says this. Who is your favorite North Carolina basketball player of all time? If you don't have one and I do maybe just name like five of your favorites. Well, I do have a favorite and here it is unquestionably for me. It's Tyler Hansborough. Tyler Hansborough. Excuse me. I, I put a little burrow on it there. Tyler Hansbro, um, for so many reasons. I just, I've always loved the way he played. He went out after it game after game after game. Didn't complain to referees, just made a play, went on. Clearly his production through the roof. He loved being a college basketball player, came back for that fourth year and he didn't have to. And boy, did that pay off. Came back to his fourth year, by the way, after being the consensus national player of the year. Only player to be named like four-time t- uh, four All-American. So many records, so much postseason success. 4-0 career all-time at Hansborough Indoor Stadium. <laughs> nice. Um, from day one, he had to step in. Remember, he came in in 2006 as a freshman on the heels of that 05 championship and just got after it and and i love that it it was more than anyone expected right out of the gate i love again that he returned for his senior year and also remember he was he was down for a little bit at the beginning of that senior year i can't imagine how much gaudier his numbers could have been uh, if he had been able to play that whole year um and i also love that he didn't whine or grumble and complain in games where there were better nba talents guarding him like that that blake griffin game for example, in the NCAA tournament in 09. When he needed to, he was happy to take a back seat to Ty Lawson or Wayne Ellington or others when the occasion called for it. Tyler Hansborough, hands down, my favorite Tar Heel of all time. Which leads into our next question from Jason Moore at Ranger Moore on Twitter. What's up, Jason? Thanks for your question. He says, given your obsession with stats, which is true, um, Number one, who is your all-time UNC starting five based on stats alone? And then also all-time starting five, including intangibles. And so listen, let's get this out out of the way right out of the gate. There are just too many to get this fully right. You are going to disagree with me, anyone out there. And I'd love to hear I'd love to hear other people's starting fives, right? And so I tried to keep it since he asked for, since Jason asked for starting five, I worked to keep it at a legit. This would be a five sum on the court. So at at point guard at number one, I went with Phil Ford, right? Second in career points, third in assists. Enough said. That balance of scoring and playmaking for others. Come on, number two at the two guard. This one uh, might be a little off the path. Um, you might not have gone with him, but I did is Hubert Davis because he is eighth in UNC career made three pointers. Um, but fifth in percentage on threes based on those who made 10 or more, but the highest of any Tar Heel in career percentage who made 50 or more threes. And by the way, keep in mind, you know, like top two or three in NBA career, three point percentage. And so I just want somebody who's both a prolific three point shooter and 
high, high percentage. Hubert Davis is at the top of that list. And so it's not just recency because he's the coach, like legitimate. I want him at my two on this lineup. Who do I want at the three? He's not really a three, but stay with me. Michael Jordan, right? Duh, of course. But think about that three guard lineup. Phil Ford, Hubert Davis, and Michael Jordan. Are you kidding me with that starting lineup? Love it. And then uh, in the front court, I want T hands. We've already talked about him. It, that wouldn't have worked in this stretch four era, although his three-point shooting was coming along. But I, I'm just talking about in college. And then at the five, the guy, Lenny Rosenbluth. He is fourth on Carolina's all-time scoring list, having played just three years, 26.9 points per game, undefeated national champion in 56-57 season. Uh, and so that is my starting five for Carolina based solely on stats alone. And then uh, the one including intangibles, I'm just kind of going guys I'd pick here because it's fun. And my my rule was that they had that I made for myself. They had to be in school at least two years. I want Kendall Marshall running the show at the one ACC career record for assist to turnover ratio, second in ACC history in assists per game. ACC single season record for assists, assists per game, double figure assist game. I mean, get him and then get a bunch of dudes around him who can just be buckets. That I love that. I want Marcus Page at the two. I just love that dude, and I want to get him a national championship. Just uh, similar to Hansborough, stepped in, um, kind of unexpectedly had to be the starter from day one and was going. I just have all this love for Marcus Page. Number three, Danny Green. If we're talking intangibles, I want him as R3, kind of similar to um, what we said about Leaky, but a couple different types of thresholds. Only Tar Heel with 1,000 points, 500 rebounds, 200 assists, 100 blocks, and 100 steals. One of three Tar Heels all time with an NCAA and an NBA champ. And so I, I, I love Danny Green. If, if you're asking me intangibles, give me him at the three. By the way, the guy for me at the four is going to be another one of those of those only three with an NCAA and NBA championship. Obviously, the other is Michael Jordan, who we just talked about. And then the other guy is going to be in our front court, and that's James Worthy. One of six ever to win NBA uh, um, finals MVP and final four most outstanding player. All six of these dudes are in the NBA Hall of Fame. The others to do this with James Worthy, listen to this list. Wilt, only need to use one name there. Magic, one name there. Hakeem, Isaiah, and Bill Walton. Come on, that's ridiculous. James Worthy's in our front court. And then the kangaroo kid who Armando Baycott just passed, Billy Cunningham, would love to have him. Only played three years. Another one that, man, had he had four, I can't imagine. 24.8 points per game, 15.4 rebounds per game for Billy Cunningham. NCAA record, 40 consecutive double-doubles. That would be another fun starting five. And again, there's multitude other guys we could have on this list. That's who I chose. Would love to hear from all of you in the comments who you'd go with. Last question before we get to our first commercial break. Jake Schwartz on YouTube. What's up, Jake? Wants to know, how did you become a UNC fan? My first memory, I actually didn't go to North Carolina. I don't know if I've ever said that. I went to Milligan College, which is a small liberal arts school in Northeast Tennessee. Really close to East Tennessee State is the closest D1 school there. So um, my first memory of Carolina is I was spending the night at a buddy's house in 1993 and watched 
the national championship game. So that's my first Carolina memory. And then um, in terms of my fandom coming in, I had a, a basketball coach all growing up who was just a massive UNC guy and really got me addicted to them. And uh, it's just been that ever since. I fell in love with Dean Smith and, and whom he was as a person and a coach. And I've just been all in. Outside of that, it's all Atlanta teams. I think I've said that before. Um, Braves, Falcons, Hawks. And um, for a long time, it was Carolina basketball, Georgia Tech football. Because again, growing up in Atlanta, um, that was just the deal. But that, that's, that's how it got going. Coming up in a second, got a bunch of great more questions. We're going to get to that in just a second. But first, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Oh, the NFL playoffs are here so close this weekend. We're so excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America, FanDuel. If you're new to FanDuel, even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. So if you're a new customer, join today and get started with $150 in free bets, guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on because FanDuel, they've got all your favorite bets from money line, point spreads, player props. You can combine stuff into a parlay, whatever you want to do. It's great. The lines for these conference championship games, Eagles two and a half over the 49ers and then the Chiefs one and a half over the Bengals. All on an app that's safe, secure and super easy to use. So don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at fanduel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Okay, let's get right back into your questions. Coming up next, Nick XN5 on YouTube says this. This is getting into some recruiting stuff. Do you think that both Elliot Cadeau and Ian Jackson could reclassify to 2023. Um, here's how I'll put this. I certainly think that they could to answer the d direct question you asked. And as much has been stated, particularly Elliot Cadeau was uh, very forthcoming with that saying, hey, I'm great to stay in 2024, but I'd be happy to reclass up to 2023 if the situation called for it. So whether they will is you know, obviously a, a different question than could they. Um, and to me, that is going to be really dependent on scholarship availability and need. Why so? Well, you get 13 scholarships per season. Those are one-year commitments. And so much of this to me is based going to be based on what Caleb Love does after the season and what RJ Davis does after the season. And so um, depending on what those guys do, I think will play a big role on if either or both of Elliot or Ian come to Carolina a season early. Another part of this question for me is how committed is coach Davis to a three guard lineup? Um, if, if he's, if he's super committed and he's going to do that a lot without a traditional three, um, so be it, bring these dudes on. If not, it's going to be a log jam in the backcourt. Think about the personnel you've got right there right now. Caleb love RJ Davis again, waiting to see what they do. My projection, if I had to call it today, Caleb's gone, RJ's back. But then you've also got DeMarco Dunn, Seth Trimble, 
coming in next year, Simeon Wilcher is class of 23, and then Elliot Cadeau and Ian Jackson. So that's a potential logjam. And so we're just going to have to wait to see if these things play out. But it's good news to know that if there is a need and if there is space, either or both of Elliot and Ian could reclass. Next question comes from Terry Weeks, which is kind of similar. And he says, it looks as if RJ Davis is playing himself into a possible first round draft pick. If RJ and Caleb depart this year, does Cadeau reclassify? A three-guard lineup of Trimble, Cadeau, and Wiltshire. Woo, boy, could be quite, quite a trio. Absolutely, they could, Terry. So I've already answered the, the class reclassification side of this, but I do want to hit the RJ side of it. That's why I bring Terry's question in. Um, as much as RJ's play and his production suggests his capability to, to do things at the next level, even, and we've seen smaller guards such as him, six foot, six foot one guys produce. So based on that, yes, he would be a pick. But unfortunately, because of the size and because of how that projects or doesn't, not only is he not a first round draft pick right now on draft boards, he's not showing up anywhere on draft boards. The only two Tar Heels that are currently showing up on draft boards are Caleb here and there and Armando here and there. And neither of them is a lock. I mean, we're talking uh, from what I'm seeing currently, they are both end of second round potentials. There's no guarantee that they would get picked. And if they did, that it would be second round draft picks. And so, so I hate that for RJ. Um, Cause man, skill wise, he should be there. He's just too short. Um, and so we're going to have to wait and see on that. But again, as I just said, projection right now for me is that RJ would be back next season. Next question comes from Cody Hogard, who says, my question for this week is that I believe that Caleb Love is going to get hot. Pete's going to return to form and Carolina is going to make a run. I think it's Portland. Uh, I think it's <clears throat> important for Caleb to stay hot and get into a good rhythm and get everyone back healthy again. If we do that, I think we could perhaps win the national championship. I wanted your thoughts on this matter. I think one of the biggest things I'd pull out of this is getting healthy. Just listen, every team around the country is nicked and battered and bruised right now. I, I recognize that. But Carolina's got a lot of ailments and this week off that they have right now. Remember, once again, they don't play till next Wednesday when they host Pittsburgh in the Smith Center. Um, and so Cody's right. Caleb had a, a really encouraging performance, I thought, um, on, on Tuesday night at Syracuse. One, one of his better performances of this season all around. Not that it was a, a skyscraping game in terms of how many points he scored, but he just, I thought, was making better decisions than he has of late. Um, got derailed a little bit because of foul trouble in the first half, but would have loved to have seen um, his full production if not for that. But again, this week off should be incredibly helpful. You get Puff Johnson hopefully healthy. He's missed the last two games. You let Armando keep resting all of his various ailments. Hopefully RJ's face has time to heal from whatever damage was inflicted from that blow in the Syracuse game. Um, Leaky has been wearing a, a protective boot off the court just for maintenance and stuff like that. And so you use this week to get healthy. You use this week to get roles defined. And you use this week to get going, get ready for this press run. Remember, I talked about on a show earlier this week, Carolina has a lot of important games ahead of them in which if they can win the majority of these next, what would be now six games heading into a, a bit of an easier game there. But man, this stretch at the end of the season, all the teams are playing are bunched right around them in the ACC. Interestingly, 
Carolina's through 21 games right now, the exact same spot they were in last year, 15 and six overall, seven and three in the ACC. That's literally the exact same record as last season. Now, we're not quite to that point where they made that run last year. Last year, they still had the pit loss ahead of them and the Duke home loss ahead of them. So we're not even to that point in the season where, we're, where Carolina really turned it around last year. However, what I want to say is that I'd love for them to get going sooner than last year so that you're not having to get like a 7-8 seed. If they could get go, stay going now, I should say, they're on a four-game winning streak, then you get yourself into a position where maybe you could bump all the way up to like a four or five seed. I think a, a one or a two is probably out of the question, but you could you could certainly continue improving your seed right now, and Carolina needs to do that. All right, a uh, couple more here before we uh, take another quick break. JC Fox, our guy, UNC Minded on Twitter says, what are these Isaac Shade exclusive extra stats you're keeping? Floor burns, hockey assists, pass deflections, what? Um, let me give you the main one I've been working on. So here's the derivation of it. Basketball is a game won by scoring more than your opponent. You do that through getting more shots, which you do by finding ways to get more shots through more possessions or hanging on to more possessions. And so I have created a stat I've been kind of developing last year or two called Possessions Created and Saved, or PCS. So what I'm doing is every game I chart turnovers, steals, offensive rebounds, and blocks. But not just any blocks. Blocks in which you maintain possession after the block. Or not maintain, but get possession after the block. So let's say Armando blocks somebody and then he gets possession. That is a possession created for the Tar Heels. So I call those possession after blocks or PABs. Um, so that rewards shot blockers who not only block shots, but do so in a way to help their team. I think that's very important. And so those are the things I'm charting. It's expressed as a plus minus, similar to like a player's plus minus after a game. Um, and it's based on steals plus offensive rebounds plus possession after block minus your turnovers. And so I get a plus minus for each team after a game. And then I combine that and you get um, like each team's net plus or minus PCS for a game. Now, unfortunately, teams don't, they count blocks, but not who has possession. So I have to go back through and chart that after game. It's a whole thing. Now, uh, it's been really interesting to watch. It doesn't always reflect who wins or loses because you got to hit shots, right? It's not just about getting possession. It's about <laughs> taking and making shots. But it does do a nice job of showing how you're helping your team get and maintain extra possessions. So let me just give you the last six games. It, it the, the last six games, it has been an indicator of plus or minus or of winning and losing. Plus 11 in PCS versus Notre Dame. Minus 10 at Virginia. Plus 9 at Louisville, plus seven versus BC and NC State, and then plus nine at Syracuse on Tuesday. So there you go. That's one of the, the stats uh, that I've been working on. I just haven't publicly rolled it out yet um, because I'm still trying to figure out exactly what I want it to be. Okay, got some more questions. We're going to tackle two or three more maybe today, and we'll do that in just a second. All right, next, Francis Caton says, uh, we talk a lot about UNC's non-conference strength of schedule, which it was. While we're not so great in quad one wins, we certainly are battle-tested, thinking of those losses um, 
and she she lists off several there. Um, yeah, several of these losses look better and every better every day. Like for example, the Iowa State one chiefly, right? Iowa State's tied for the lead in the Big Twelve right now, so that loss looks better and better all the time. As to what Francis um, said about the quad one losses, Carolina is um, one and six in quad one which is unfortunate. You've only got one win in those. It was two, but the NC State win just slid back to a two. Um, thankfully, though, all of Carolina's losses are quad one. Why is that important? Because um, the selection committee doesn't just lo- look at who do you beat. They look at who do you lose to, and you don't want to lose bad games. Thankfully, Carolina hasn't done that. Literally all six of their losses are in quad one. They're undefeated in quads two, three, and four. Another thing they take into account is, is how you did in quads one and two combined. So when you combine that, Carolina's five and oh right now in quad two. So they're six and six overall in those first two quadrants. That's good. Now, to Francis's other point, Carolina, yes, absolutely battle tested. They have the 14th best non conference strength of schedule in the nation. The only other Power Five conference that's up that high is Alabama, who is at 12th. Um, The next closest is Kansas at 40. And so Carolina really set themselves apart in the non-conference strength of schedule to prepare themselves to be really, really battle-tested, which is going to pay dividends going forward. Now, uh, Francis Next asks, basically, let me sum it up. Carolina had this strong non-conference schedule. The ACC schedule isn't deemed by a lot of predictive metrics as strongly, but then you get conferences like the Big 12 that are strong, but it seems like, she says, for example, the penalty in the public eye of Kansas's current three-game losing streak versus UNC's four-game losing streak earlier seems different, though the quality of some of those losses are not incomparable. Great point. Do AP voters have a bias towards those teams with early success and later fallibility or to conference play or whatever it may be? This is a great question, and here's how I'd answer it. AP voters, so many of them are eye-testy. Right? They're paying a lot more attention to what's happening right now. What have you done for me lately? And so for Carolina, because that four-game losing streak was um, really before conference play got going, they, in the mind of a lot of AP voters, did not do what they needed to do. Also keeping in mind that preseason AP one rank or AP preseason number one ranking, right? That, that factors into it as well. So it's going to take them longer to get back into the poll. Whereas a team like Charleston, literally their only loss is to North Carolina and they have the nation's longest winning streak. So they're in the AP poll right now. But when you look at their resume and who they've beaten, it doesn't even come close to comparing what North Carolina has done. So for example, yes, they're in the AP poll, but Carolina grades infinitely better than them in the predictive metrics on places like um, barttorvik.com, kenpalm.com, all of that and in the net. And so, so that's a good thing. And so just trust the selection committee and some of those metrics more so than what the AP voters are doing. And then one other thing from Francis, would love to hear more on the state of flagrants in college basketball. We've seen all this stuff cropping up lately uh the stuff with rj davis against syracuse leaky black against nc state there was you probably saw what happened with duke and virginia tech the other night when kyle filipowski got punched in the throat after on his like a celebration from virginia tech and so uh she just wants to know what's going on with that here's the thing um the uptick to me is a combination of both the way the rules are written and more and more and more and more and more and more and more, and more <laughs> reviews from officials. 
um, because the way the rules are written, some of it is very specific and detailed, and some of it leaves the ref some room for interpretation, which I kind of like and kind of don't like. And so I feel like for the most part, the referees have been doing a good job of adjudicating the rules the way they're written. My bigger issue is with the way the rules are written. I wish there could be some changes to that so they weren't forced into some of those things. Like, for example, I said, um, you heard me after the NC State game, I don't think Leaky Blau's foul on Terquavion Smith was flagrant too worthy, but it was moved up to that because of the severity of the injury. And I don't think that's fair to Leaky Black or the Tar Heels. Um, if that had been a closer game, that could have been a fatal blow for Carolina. We can't... Um, deem that flagrant too just because he got hurt after it we have to deem it based on the play and intent and things like that and so um also with reviews with with refs going to the monitors a lot more that's part of it as well uh to that point francis carter on youtube asks the question are referees held accountable for calling obvious and bad calls if so how um yes francis there are reviews that happen literally Literally after every game, um, Brian Kersey, the director of ACC referees, um, watches literally every game, clips everything out and sends it to his refs. They talk about it, go through it. And in terms of being held accountable, I mean, they, they are talked with and discussed after everything and what they're looking at. And then in terms of like on, on court things, if you're not if you're not grading out well, you're not going to get the better games, and then you're not going to get postseason stuff either. And so that's kind of how they're held accountable for those things. Um, and, and then also, I mean, if it's really bad, you're not going to get hired to work. And so so that's what's going on behind the scenes there. The guys that grade out the best get the best assignments. And so there you go. Um, two two quick football things, and then. We'll get out of here. Matthew Kataba, uh, I think I've, that's how I always pronounce your last name when I see it. I hope that's right. Tell me if I'm wrong. Many legendary UNC athletic coaches have recently retired. Mike Fox, baseball, Roy Williams, basketball, Karen Shelton, field hockey. Do you think there is a succession plan for the head coaching foot position of the football team as Mac Brown gets up there in age? Who would be successful in this position? When do you think Mac Brown will retire? This is a great question. So heading into last season, Mac Brown was the oldest coach in all of FBS at 71. In fact, only he and Nick Saban were the two coaches in their 70s. Everybody else under 70. My, my guess, and I don't know this for sure, but if I'm Coach Brown, I'm going to say five seasons or so, and it could be less. Obviously, that's something that he and Miss Sally are talking about in an ongoing way. But for me, as long as he's still having fun, as long as Carolina is having a measure of success, and as long as recruiting continues to go the way it is, he's going to stick around. But certainly his days are uh, shorter than longer in terms of being a head coach. Now, interestingly, he, in the um, coaching search for the new OC, had talked about not wanting to have a coach in waiting. And so that's not going to be a thing. Um, but that's different to me than having, I think you can have a succession plan without having a coach in waiting. Part of that for me is I know, um, while I don't know the inside scoop on, on who Mac Brown wants next, I do know how he handles other coaching things. So like, for example, for his coordinators and other staff positions, he keeps lists of people who he's interested in talking to and potentially hiring if those if those jobs become vacancies. I have always imagined that he does the same thing for his own role. Like 
keeping eyes out and tabs on guys who he thinks would be successful in his role uh, at Carolina as the head football coach. And so um, to me, he's earned the right to help speak into what that shortlist looks like. But ultimately, it's going to be Bubba Cunningham's decision, right? And so that that's part of it. And whoever it is that that ultimately comes in after Mac Brown is going to have to recognize that Carolina is a basketball school, right? That's just that is what it is. Um, who understands that first and foremost, basketball is going to get the attention, and that it's a university who doesn't just basketball and football, and doesn't just men's basketball and football. This is a university that puts a lot of stock into all its varsity athletic sports, and so you got to be ready to be part of that. And Bubba Cunningham's not going to hire somebody who won't do that, but that's just part of the deal because this is a school, a university that wants all of its uh, athletics programs to succeed at a high level. That said, when I'm looking for it, as you asked, who would be successful? I think you, you stick my, as for now, I'm saying you stick with somebody who is more offensively minded because that's what Carolina has been doing. You got to keep growing the defense, but you want somebody who is uh, an offensive mind, a quarterback mind, because that's been working for the Tar Heels. Um, and so uh, do you go look for a younger head coach coming up from like the mid-major ranks? Do you go look at an offensive coordinator who, you know, somebody like uh, Jeff Levy at Oklahoma or Todd Munkin, who's a bit older and he's at Georgia. So I don't know how gettable he is. Um, is Garrett Riley available when the time comes? Uh, Willie Korn, who's at Coastal Carolina now at Liberty kind of working his way up, you know, in the area, just somebody to look at there. Um, Lance Leopold from Kansas. I know he's a bit older, but um, Kansas has been resurgent. Another thing, I mean, if you look in the family, is the Colts just tried this Jeff Saturday experiment? Is that a possibility? I don't know. Lots of names, nothing specific out there. I'm just throwing out some ideas of the type of person whom I think could ultimately be successful. Would love to hear thoughts from all of you out there tuning into the show. Last one. Um, uh, Tar Heels Ron on YouTube, sa on YouTube says, who will Mac Brown hire to replace Dre Bly? Well, just quickly, at this point, now we know who it is. We don't have to speculate. It's Jason Jones who comes over from Indiana the last three years, has other stops at FAU, Ole Miss, Oklahoma State, Tulsa Rice, and was a GA at Alabama, which is where he played. Lots of great accolades, 20-year vet. Um, has always been uh, a secondary coach of some type, all, uh, has six years of D.C. experience as well. Um, Charlton Warren, here's a connection, was his D.C. at Indiana. And so lots of great stuff there. But just wanted to hit that quick on the way out as well. All right, folks, we are way over time today. But again, I wanted to get to as many questions as I possibly could. And now I'm going to go crash because, like I said, it's been a day. <laughs> so that's it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels and this week. Please keep in mind, no men's basketball game over the weekend. However, the women play again. Lots of other great stuff going on all around Carolina athletics. Make sure you check out the calendars and we will get going on that. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Heels. You can follow me at Isaac Shade. Send emails. Like I've been saying, so many great emails coming in. Locked on Tar Heels at Gmail. Com. Don't forget to subscribe, smash the like button, and comment. And next, check out Locked on College Basketball, where myself and Andy Patton bring you everything you need to know on and off the court. Plus, hear from big-name experts, coaches, and players throughout the basketball landscape. Locked on College Basketball. 
available on YouTube, Odyssey, and anywhere else you get podcasts. Hey, thanks so much for spending part of your Friday hanging out with me. Uh, Hopefully I was able to answer your question. And uh, I know that's always fun to get to hear that on the airwaves. I hope that you have a great weekend. Remember, it is always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Until next week, peace.